This is 1 Kings chapter 18, starting with verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud. For he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as as would contain two sayas, of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon 
and slaughtered them there. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, indeed, this word remains forever. We shall have it eternally. Four points to help us to see that God's power to save turns hearts to him. Four points. The indecisiveness that we see apart from God. The absurdity of unbelief, number two. Number three, the revelation of salvation. And number four, the ultimate victory of God. First, it is plain to see the indecisiveness of humanity apart from God in verses 20 through 24. Defining indecisiveness is as easy as looking at me and Rebecca trying to figure out where we are going to get takeout from on some random date night in the COVID-19 world. Well, you know, I don't want anything that's going to fill me up too much. Okay, well, that kind of puts out fast food, right? Well, not all fast food because I like some fast food. Well, well, what do you think? Do you want something that's really good salty, something that's really good sweet? Well, I kind of want salty and sweet. I don't know. Well, what do you want? How about cookout? No, that's too nasty. What? Well, you know, if we're going down that way, we could go, I don't know, until eventually we don't go anywhere because too much time has passed and we find and rummage and scrounge around the house to get whatever it is we can find to fulfill those munchies that we're feeling. Indecisive, right? Indecisive. Maybe you resonate. Maybe not. Maybe I've revealed something of myself and my wife. <laughs> uh, but... Here, there is something much more serious going on, a spiritual indecisiveness. And we see Elijah define it in verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? You see, there's indecisiveness. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And then you see what the people did. Ah, well, they did not answer him a word. The people did not answer him a word. If we put words to their silence, maybe it would go something like this. We don't know, Elijah. The king, Ahab, and his wife, Jezebel, and these prophets, 450 of them, told us that Baal was right and that the Lord was wrong. But we don't know. We're not all the way in that camp, but we don't know anymore because these people are telling us that we're wrong. We don't know. And now remember that main point. God's power to save turns hearts to him. And so what does Elijah say? Well, let me show you God's power that you might turn to God. And what do the people say? It's well spoken. <laughs> okay, thank you. They are willing to receive the help. Humans can never gain spiritual decisiveness from within themselves. They will always, and by they I mean we, will always end up like those standing on Mount Carmel, not answering a word. It is always God's working exhibited for us that leads us to lasting and true confidence. But do you live your life in that way, looking to God rather than to yourself, especially for spiritual things. 
It's this question that answers why we at Centennial proclaim over and over and why myself as a minister of word and sacrament and why every other minister in this denomination as well as every other Bible-believing denomination would say that we are a people of God's word. It's why I proclaim God from his word rather than hot topics that would tickle the ears of you and the people. Would we really want 500 people in the pews if all I was talking about was self-help and political strategy? No, because then we would simply be of the world and not of God. And so we are a people of the word. The people of God look to God that our hearts might be turned towards God. And when that happens, all that other stuff, whatever it might be, falls into place. And we begin to have the capability, the ability to maneuver the craziness of this world, whether it's school, uh, public or private, whether it's politics, whether it's COVID-19, trying to sift through what in the world's going on, whether it's race, whether it's the, any other hot topic that's going on. We, as a people of the word, focusing on the word, looking to God, begin to have our hearts changed from the inside out and then know how to move forward with confidence because of what God is doing for us. But do you do that? Or do you flip-flop it and wonder why in the world you feel the way you feel? Think on it. Secondly, we see the absurdity of unbelief. Verses 25 through 29. The challenge from Elijah, it was simple. Let's see whose God sets the bull on fire, right? That's how you can sum it up. Let's, let's just see, see who, whose fire comes down first, right? That's the challenge. The prophets of Baal hollered and danced and cut themselves and raved, but there was silence in the air. There was no answer. In the midst of all of this, and what at first glance might be a bit shocking, Elijah, the called prophet of the Lord God, straight up mocks the absurdity of these 450 prophets of Baal who are by this time, no doubt, covered in blood and spittle, panting from exhaustion and hollering out to somebody who is clearly not there and clearly not answering. And that's the point that Elijah was making for the people of God. If it walks like a duck and if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. It's a duck. And these people are, for a certainty, absurd. Elijah knows this because in belief he has seen the God of the universe work, and this ain't it. Until Elijah forced the narrative of unbelieving King Ahab, of unbelieving Queen Jezebel, of unbelieving 450 prophets of Baal, who, by the way, this whole uh, entourage, this whole retinue, they seemed decent and in order. They seemed powerful, almost mystical, and they swayed the people into belief through power and majority until the narrative was pushed by Elijah. The very thing still happens today, 
But when you force the narrative, rather than falling into it, whatever it might be, don't pigeonhole me and think I'm talking about what you think. I might not be. I might not be. But until you force the narrative, you begin to see. And when you do, you can see the unbelieving world for what it really is. Absurd. And the people of God see this of the prophets of Baal. Verse 29, as midday passed, they, being the prophets of Baal, raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. And here's the kicker. When the narrative was forced, those prophets that held sway, no one paid attention because of how absurd they were. Bloody and exhausted and absurd. The unbelieving world that we are surrounded by for a fact is absurd, but God's power to save turns hearts to him and allows us to step out of the fray and into the truths that will set us free, which is what we see in our third point, the revelation of salvation, verses 30 through 39. Elijah, as it were, says, hey, y'all, gather around. You've seen whatever this was. Come over here. It's my turn. And then he does four things. Number one, he repairs the altar of the Lord because from the beginning, that's how God said he would reveal himself. And if you noticed, he waited until the time of the oblation, which was this e afternoon, evening-ish sacrifice. He fell into, as it were, the law of God as God prescribed it. Number two, he symbolically places the 12 stones, which represent the full 12 tribes of Israel, those whom God said were his forever. Remember the timing and the history. Uh, there's two tribes who aren't in Israel anymore. They're in Judah, right? Judah and Benjamin. And then you've got these 10 tribes up here who have been swayed away by the false teachings of Baal and Asherah and other false gods and their prophets. And so Elijah, remembering God's history and who he said was his, puts 12 stones around that altar. Number three, he soaks it all. In the law of God and Jewish tradition, the number three, it was a big deal. Uh, we see this play out all over the Bible, uh, but an easy place to see it is the Apostle Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus. What did Jesus tell him on the night that he was betrayed? Uh, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. What did Peter say? No way! <laughs> I will not do that. Why did he respond so intensely? Was it just Peter being Peter? No, it wasn't Peter being Peter, because what Jesus said was that you're going to swear an oath, Peter, uh, because that's what that three meant, the rule of three in Jewish tradition. Uh, not on uh, one witness, but on two or three shall you be confirmed or condemned as the law of God that we see. And so when Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but three times, Jesus is saying, you're going to really deny me. You're going to swear on the Bible, deny me. And Peter said, no way. But what did he do? Exactly what Jesus said he would. Uh, Jesus was dead not one day, not two, but on the third day he rose, right? That means he was really dead. Why was it three? Why did it matter? Because on the basis of two or three shall you be confirmed or condemned, right? Jesus, not one, not two, but really dead. And so now did you catch it with Elijah? All right, pour some water on this thing. Not once, not twice. 
get it really wet, pour it three times, right? Let's, let's build a trench around this thing so the water stays. Let's get it soaked. In other words, God must do this. Number four, just as the prophets of Baal did in their own way, Elijah then asks God to reveal himself. He prays, he asks, as God has told us time and time again in his word. These four things are revealing as if Elijah were yelling, God, this is your way, altar and law. Your people, Israel. Your work, it's soaked. And your time to turn the hearts of your people back to you. Verse 37 of our text, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. It is a work of God. It is God's power to turn hearts. And what do we see in verse 38? We see the answer to these things. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. It is like there was glass that remained, right? You know, fire that gets so hot turns sand to glass. It would be like everything was gone and all you saw was glass. And you think, whoa, he didn't just take the bull. He took it all. God brought the fire and the people believed. God's power to save turns hearts to him. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But there's one more piece to this history, which is more shocking than the mocking Elijah entered into earlier, and it's the killing of these 450 prophets, which is also our fourth point. Verse 40, God's ultimate victory. God's power to save turns hearts to him. And at the same time, there is consequence to opposing God. To go against the God of the universe and to think that you're going to come out on top or make it through unscathed is, to quote myself, absurd. Absurd. But do we, God's people, believe and acknowledge this? If so, why are we not telling others about the way out, about Jesus and the good news? Why are we not seeking out others for that purpose alone? Because God will be victorious one way or the other. He will get his victory. And before we think that God is vindictive because of 450 enemies of God, those seeking not only to go against the Lord, but to sway people away from eternal life to eternal damnation, from those seeking their own profit and gain, turning their eyes away, these people, these false prophets, before we think God vindictive for slaying them, may we be the first here at Centennial to fall to our knees, recognizing what the fire took and what the fire didn't take and how that in and of itself reveals just how merciful and powerful and gracious our God is. Because think about it. These people who were indecisive had turned away. 
They were just as guilty as the prophets of Baal. And yet God, in his rich and loving kindness, swept fire down on what? The sacrifice. And what do we see so many years later? What do we see that this is revealing? What do we see that Elijah was proclaiming? What do we see that Elijah was going to be the front runner of? What do we see? But the Lord Jesus Christ, God's own son, who came to this earth as a little baby. This is God we're talking about. Now taking on flesh. And he's living a perfect life. And he goes to Calvary. He's hung on a cross. And what happens? The immense fire that takes dust and stone and meat and dirt and everything else. All the water. Everything is gone. That fire goes right on Jesus rather than his people. And then Jesus says, it is finished. It is complete. My people can go home unscathed. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is God's power to save. That is God's might revealed. And that is God's mercy revealed. Our God is mighty to save. And his victory we see on the cross of Calvary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. We, we deserve punishment and your wrath. Elijah should have come in fury against us, the people who are indecisive without a word to say for you. And yet, you loved us enough to turn our hearts to you. And so, God, may we be those whose hearts are turned and continually turned, ever reminding ourselves of this in word and prayer and song, always until the end of the age. Come, Lord Jesus. And until then, may we be found faithful, proclaiming that same Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.